Hey everybody, it's your old friend John Lear with another fine mini cast. This is actually, I think, the first post-Christmas almost 2016 mini cast. So in the fiscal year of the mini cast, this counts as 2016. Joining me for a very um, interesting, layered, delicate adult conversation is Ant from TFU.info. Ant, how was your holidays? Uh, my holidays were great. Uh, they were, you know, uh, nothing, nothing terribly out of the ordinary, and just uh, a lot of fun. That's nice, man. That's nice. Just, uh, just a little kind of quiet, um, family-oriented holiday. Is that what yeah, I'm that, hearing? Yeah, that, that, and my wife and I are celebrating our first, uh, first Christmas in our home. Like we, we bought a house over the summer, so it's, it's our first Christmas here. Oh man, you've grown up, man. Yeah, yeah, it had to happen eventually. Ugh. time moves so fast. I remember what that was like. Um, for us, it was um, in rapid succession, house, kid, um, and then becoming like old people, like all of a sudden. Like having a kid like accelerates your oldness, like your crotchetiness, I guess. So I, I, I'm one of those guys that kind of like views, I'll be honest with you, like, like I've never been on Snapchat for an instant. Um, Twitter's my thing. Facebook, in some ways, is almost like too too progressive at this point. Facebook has left me behind. Facebook's like on its like third or fourth evolution. I can't even keep up. So well, like the best I can do is Twitter. Well, you lucked out there because I feel like Facebook is is on its way out the door a lot of the time. More the more I use it, the more I'm like, why do I use this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wonder what the next thing is going to be. Because I, I mean, I don't think it's Twitter. Do you? Do you think it's like something we don't even know exists right now? I think Friendster is going to come back. Oh, do you? No. MySpace, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. It, well, hopefully you like you, you kept refreshing your MySpace password. If you still got that page, when when it comes back, you'll be ready to go. Be one of the first ones on. Uh, ironically enough, I was like a really early user of Twitter as a uh, Firefox plugin when no one else was using it. And I was like, I, I don't get this. I don't understand what I'm using it. I didn't use the account probably for another like two years. Oh, man. You could have had, <laughs> if you were like even like somewhat active i bet you would have had like crazy numbers of followers just being like one of the first adopters back then or you could have had like a sweet handle uh i just had my my no i wish it was my personal account it wasn't even the tfu account and it was my normal personal account handle for uh for ouija friends uh, mainly man 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 because uh, there's those those are those people out there that have like they're like at bacon or you know whatever those people haven't made let me tell bacon. you something yeah. What is Bacon tweet? I know we're way off top. I don't know, but now I want to look him up. I got to follow Bacon. Uh, why isn't Bacon like a thing, like on Twitter? Like whoever has at Bacon, you're not doing it right. That's all I got to say. Um, so back on topic. And, yes. And this is this is a, a, a delicate subject, but also really timely, I feel, um, for better or worse. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of reflect and give our different POVs on fun publications. Fun publications took over the BotCon license about 10 years ago, about 2005. 2005 was their first official convention. Subsequently, they created um, the subscription service, and they run the Collector's Club. Um, they are um, a heavy in the world of trans fandom, I would say. And it seems like, at the time of this recording, like there's a lot of smoke that's starting to billow that this might be the last year 2016 might be the last year they have the botcon license and that they hold a botcon proper and then whatever happens after 2016 nobody really knows for sure there's there's 
some smoke around that, but even less so. So, like, you know, the winds are kind of blowing that this may be, at least for BotCon, Fun Pub's uh, last year. So you and I had talked about this for a while, about kind of just discussing Fun Pub and, and what they've done and what they've meant, good or bad. And I know you've got strong opinions. I've got fair opinions, too, on them. So, you know, I it's it's hard to know where to start, but I guess... I guess now knowing that uh, at least like the primary thing that they hold, which is the BotCon license, may be slipping away, uh, transitioning to something else. Now that we know that, it kind of gives us a little bit of perspective or context to talk about this. Considering like this may be like the last run for them. I mean, what, what I mean, what what are your current what's your current just impression of like their run before we kind of start to pick it apart? What's like your overall feeling for the fun pub? era of botcon oh <laughs> man yeah uh, that's that's a bomb filled with nails um <laughs> i would say over uh, there I'm, it's i'd hate to say it's not without its its positive points because it certainly had it they've certainly done some good things for um for the fandom and for um their time i think the problem is is that their time is kind of they've kind of gotten lapped in a lot of ways from other parts of the fandom and other um, things that are just being offered uh, through official channels. Uh, overall, they're uh, they're kind of a dinosaur, uh, especially now, um, and I think that's really starting to reflect in in what we're seeing from uh, from Hasbro's side of things. In that um, that there's it seems to be that they're preparing to uh, uh, to move away from Fun Pub. Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing to, the thing about what they do is, first of all, it's a thankless job. You know, running a convention is a thankless job. And, you know, you kind of hit on it, the term dinosaur. I'm one of those guys that thinks in a lot of ways that trade shows and fan conventions in lots of ways, that's kind of a dinosaur of a model. And See, um, I'm not so sure about that because well, please, I feel like... Please tell me. Well, in, in this day and age... It, something that you can't download an experience mm -hmm. that you have to attend is certainly much more valuable than, than, um, something you could and something you can, you know, presumably steal for free on the internet. So, <laughs> you know, that's why bands tour more often these days, you know, your favorite band probably comes through three or four times a year, whereas they used to come through once every two years. Hmm. Uh, it's for those you know particular reasons is that the live experience is something you can't um, recreate except in that live setting. So, um, I feel like in that way, like they do hold, you know, a, a pretty strong card here and they've, they've kind of misplayed the hand, um, a number of times and just, it just doesn't feel like they get like where they need to be in the future. And they're relying on a very old model. So that's a really interesting, uh, way to look at it. Um, that would tell me that, uh, that you think, the way they've positioned it as a basically a vehicle to present to you exclusive merchandise is actually the opposite kind of way to look at a convention. So it's not it's not so much about the merch; it's about the experience. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's partially about the merch, but uh, not to the scale that that Fun Pub has been doing it since two thousand five. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the like from day one. That was like the center of their of their business model. They introduced the box set. They introduced it on a level that we had never seen before, a piece count we had never really seen before. It's only grown. I think we're down we're into the 
what five five pieces within the main box set, and this many is like ten, about ten ish uh, souvenir toys. Uh, yeah, and then you're you're talking upwards of like twenty twenty exclusives per. If you break down individual figures and mini cons and crayons and whatever, it, 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 I think the last con I went to, I missed last year. I was there in fourteen, so I think it was twenty three was the number. That's incredible. It's an incredible amount, and uh, that is there's no doubt like that is the kind of the, that was always the center of their proposition. Um, to the uh, maybe to the detriment of some of the experiences, but but you know I mean. Like, uh, I would say this. I would say the Fun Pub, the Fun Pub model for Bicon was it felt at least to me personally toys first, panels second, and kind of the social experience was third and last. So that, there's kind of a shame. That's kind of a shame. You and I come from one of the original. I would say like kind of subgroups within the. Uh, Within the fandom, we had a pretty tight and organized, relatively speaking, like group of fans, friends mm-hmm. within yeah. within the group. And we kind of aged out. A lot of us aged out. But be that as may, when we started going to BotCon, BotCon was very much um, a social event. And it, it felt like the, the social aspect was much higher on the priority list. Do you think that – do you think that losing that was inevitable? Do you think that that was just a product of the model that FunPub introduced? I, I mean, I know the world's changed with like social media and even the fandom's just different. But I mean, do you think that there was an opportunity there to preserve that part of BotCon or was that something that was just kind of destined to kind of fade away? Uh, you know what? To FunPub's credit, I think they, they've tried to preserve that to an extent, to a small extent. Um, having the, uh, the casino nights and the, um, you know, the, the pre-BotCon trip to wherever, uh, you know, depending on the location, like the Universal Studios trip or whatever. But even in in that kind of setting, the casino night, I think, worked well. I mean, I got to meet a lot of people that night and kind of make new friends and, and just chit-chat with people I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, to And it's funny because that's one of those things that people kind of are like, we don't like this, get, you know, get rid of it. Um, but then, like, the Universal trip, which I did in 14, like, I just ended up splitting off with you, actually you and, and a bunch of other people that we know. We <laughs> kind of just kind of just did our own thing. Um, so I, I feel like uh, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, people are going to be social if they want to be social. Mm. But then there's certain little things that I really feel like, I don't know if they just phased out over, they probably phased out over time because they're just not, they weren't as important to the fandom, but... Like I'll, I'll give you an example. The, do you remember the BotCon art room? Absolutely. Every year there was a room just mm-hmm. dedicated to fan art, and it's you know FunPub's first thing is that they pushed that into like a corner of the dealer room, and it got a lot smaller and a lot less interesting, and it became a very small portion of the of the over overall event. And I I don't know if necessarily that's you know again a sign of the times because there's less of a need. There's less I don't know. Kit bashing seems to be less of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially now since so many characters have been updated. And and when you go back to '99, you know we're at the end of Beast Wars, and people are making G1 characters out of Beast Wars molds, and and it's it was just a different era. But when you you know something like that keeps getting pushed away, I think that changes the social aspect of the uh, the event. What about the uh, economic aspect of the event? So that's definitely something. That that Fun Pub also changed, kind of as a product of making the uh, the exclusives 
such a massive deal is like that came with a price tag. And it basically meant that uh, for like a, the full experience became something that cost several hundred dollars just to just to walk in the door and have the full experience, so to speak. So uh, how do you think that that changed the dynamics of going to this convention? Because relatively speaking, granted, this isn't like a, your average anime or sci-fi convention um, that take, takes place on any given weekend during the summer. Like this is like the official convention for a billion dollar brand, but they did create this system where it did cost a lot of money to really experience it. What do you think that did for the convention? Uh, overall, I think it hurt it. Um, and I think that's pushed people out. It's certainly as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder for me to do it. Just because you have more responsibilities, you have more, you know, you just have more things. You can't just go blow a thousand bucks to go away for the for a weekend, which is what it's become. Um, you know, you go back, if you go back to 1999, which was my first VODCON, which was in St. Paul, uh, were you at that one? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think I was at the one the year after that. Durham? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, either one. The weekend, I mean, getting in the door and flight in a hotel probably cost, I don't know, about 300 bucks total. And I'm sure we can we can boost that for inflation. But, like, now you're talking for four figures for the weekend between hotel, your flight, and the you know exorbitant amount of of exclusives and just to be part of the convention and really be part of the convention not even not even talking like paying for like a golden ticket or anything like that but just to be a primus package holder and pick up the exclusives and pick up the um souvenir stuff and you could say there's more options there but you're pricing out your core audience which is probably college age kids who have disposable yeah. income or early 20s mm -hmm. and because you're pricing it on them out because it's a lot of money even for some you know for there and then you're pricing out your older fans who have you know financial responsibilities and homes and cars and kids and whatever else so you're you're really narrowing down the type of person who can do everything to a very small number and then on top of it and this also goes back to the social aspect that we were talking about, that as you start pricing people out, the social groups start getting smaller. Because I know from from our own experience that a lot of the people we know just can't even afford to go anymore. Or, I mean, I, hell, I've been priced out. And, you know, and, and I'm in my late 30s and I own a home and I have a job. And it's like, you know what? Botcon's a little too expensive for me at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's a scary, it's a scary thing. The other thing, too, about kind of marching up the pricing ladder is that's really dependent on the on the popularity and kind of the energy behind the brand so you know if you kept going in that direction and transformers takes an inevitable step back in popularity and like the heat kind of comes off the brand you're kind of stuck you know if if you're not going to get the if you're not going to get the walk-ins if you're not going to get most of the hardcore fans, if, if that starts to cool off and you've kind of kind of written yourself, so to speak, into this corner where it's a high price convention, a lot of financial barriers to get to it. Heck, if, if the um, if the economy takes a dive, all your wiggle room is kind of gone. So you, you, you're, you're kind of in a precarious spot making this kind of a very luxurious um convention that's only for a few people there's just there's just not a lot of wiggle room and if you it's hard also hard to backtrack so it's also hard, it was i'm sure it would be hard for them to 
say, cut the box set in half or cut the souvenirs out because that's now like ingrained into their economic model. Whatever money that generates, like they depend on that one way or another. So it'd be really hard. They have to let people go probably or just really like, you know, rework the way they operate to downsize. So they're kind of in a different, they were in a difficult spot. If this was, if this was, if this is like their, their last year or so of doing it, I can kind of see where, you know, they were kind of at the end of an economic model because it kept kind of creeping up, creeping up and up and up. And it was becoming, I'm sure a big responsibility just to keep it running. Um, so and, actually, oh. funny you mentioned that because of of all the groups to ever hold, you know, or to ever run this convention, mm-hmm. um, you used the term backtrack, and this is one group that would not backtrack on anything, whether they were right or wrong. And I think I think that's that's a good point there, in that not only in their 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 business model, but their attitude towards their their customers that that this is this group painted themselves into that corner, and that. Had they been a little bit more agile in, in what they do, um, they may not be in this position. So let's uh, let's get into that. I think yeah. um, I think that is something that is definitely kind of a gorilla in the room. Yep. When it comes to Fun Pub, um, the An show old master in the room. If if you uh... yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed, always looking for that reference, my friend. Always looking for that reference. Um, if if you have ever been to a Fun Pub show. The show itself, technically always strong. And that was something I think that people kind of forgot that or started to take for granted that a technically well-run on-time BotCon wasn't always the most like common thing in the, in the early years. It was a little bit more Wild Westy once you got there, for better or worse. But from a technical aspect, FunPub always had a strength. Uh, in in that part of the business, like they they ran they ran a pretty tight ship. They ran a, sh- a good show. Once you're at the show, okay. Now everything around that, particularly uh, public relations, that ran, I would say, hot and cold. There weren't that many hot points. There were a lot of cold points. Um, so without like going immediately to anything specific, sure. And uh, and tell me. Tell me what is the legacy of Fun Pub when it comes to communicating and being friends with the fandom? Oh, <laughs> good one. Uh, I would say it's not good. Um, I feel like a lot of people's first reaction uh, to Fun Pub was they felt like they were being talked down to. That um, for a lack, I don't want to say that they felt like the the notion was you are going to give us your money not this is why you should give us your money um it, and i think that's it, you know and that's not what they said but that's the vibe people got from um i would say from from brian in his first couple of times talking and just overall the way the fans have been treated by fun pub has generally been fun pub will never say it's their fault We've, they'll never say, even up until probably a week or two ago when they're having problems with pre-reg for BotCon, it's, it's the old web developer. It's not that we hired this web developer or we changed web developers. It's the old web developers at fault. And I think that is the bigger issue. That And that's kind of the first tick in the dominoes where people become less and less forgiving because they don't get out in front of their own problems and say, hey, look, my bad. Uh, we're going to fix this. Yeah, I, I I would uh, 
I would mostly agree with that. I think there have been some some very acute times where they they put the onus on themselves, they accept their responsibility. But you're right. The thing is, look, there's always going to be some exceptions, and I think I think I think most people would probably agree that those times are <clears throat> were exceptions. And like you said, it was kind of this overall posturing and positioning that they that they took felt a little cold. And when you do that, I, I think I think what happens is it's kind of like well, it's kind of like like to quick a quick sports example. It's like there are athletes out there that know how to work the media, and they know the benefit of that, and they know that whether you like it or not, if reporters like you, they give you some slack, and if they don't like you, they give you zero slack. And there's real value. Uh, it's not fair, but but in this world, there's real value to having people on your side. And so when you take that kind of position where you're, you're polarizing, uh, people are kind of, kind of cold to you, they feel that you're cold to them, things like uh, running a Christian prayer to, to a large mixed group um, that probably tend to, to maybe be a little bit more secular, or at the very least just wildly diverse in their beliefs, to go out there and run uh, in your first... Uh, in your first kind of social event, a, a Christian Christian prayer, you're not going to get a lot of slack for that if if your populace, if your customer base, quote unquote, doesn't like you or at that point doesn't know you. Right. You know that that's that's where that's where like the real value of of going out of your way to befriend your customer base. That's where it pays off. Is that that you get a little bit of slack when you slip up. Because stuff like that, like th- there's no maliciousness behind stuff like that. But if if people aren't thrilled with you to begin with, you get nothing for that. You get you get no slack, no understanding, nothing for that. And you kind of saw a lot of that through the years, don't you say? Don't you think? Absolutely. Um, I would say that's more of a um, like the the prayer thing is is almost a part of, and especially how early on it was. That's one of those things that's you didn't get to know your customer base, and you should have. And and that's you know, that's kind of the uh, hey, my eyes are up here kind of moment. Uh, when when you for sure you know when and I think that there's not a lot of um, of reeling back from something like that, and then to just ignore it and say it didn't happen, and or you know not really even say hey look you know what? we didn't think about it we didn't you know we didn't you know we should have you know. Maybe done it just even if we wanted to do it, just do it a little differently to try to be a little more inclusive. Mm-hmm. They would have been fine if they had just said, "Hey, look, you know, we're going to take a moment. Everyone just silently pray to you know whatever you believe in, and then we'll have dinner, you know, and, and bon appetit." And that's you know that's not what they did. You know, sure. they kind of just forced their their views on everyone, and that's that's you know that's certainly alienated um, some people. Uh, and then yeah, even further down, and, and it's funny. It, to, I won't get into some of the bigger specifics until we t- until you, unless you want to talk about them. But there was one specific moment at my first Fun Pub Bakon that I knew and I, that I kind of just went, "All right, this uh, let's let's strap in because this is going to be if this is emblematic of of everything else, then um, we're in for a ride." Ooh, and I'm it interested. was, it's really simple. It's okay. really simple too, and it was right. it's just a real simple customer service thing. Bakon, I guess, oh five. First uh-huh. year, yeah. First ten minutes upstairs on Saturday, or Friday or Saturday, whatever the first day was. Um, I go over to the information booth, right? 
So I'm big sign information. I was like, oh, this is great. This is a great thing they should have. Totally makes sense. Great little addition to the con. And I asked the, the volunteer where the men's room is. And not only does he not know, he doesn't make an attempt to find out. Oh. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. And then turns around. Does he have a bag or something? Else. What does he have? Like under his seat? Like a Colossi bag or what? I, I, I don't know. It was, it was probably the first five minutes. But, it, like, you're the info. I told him. I was like, dude, you're the information desk. You should know that. Wow. Like, you should know that before you even step behind there. And it's like, well, if you're going to run an information desk, you should, that's like, shouldn't there just be a Xerox saying, hey, here, here's the directions to the bathroom, tell people if they ask? Sure. And, like, that's just common sense. And uh, that's, I mean, I'm not saying that set me onto a I hate fun pub thing, but that's, it's a really good example of, all right, they don't really have their act together as far as teaching people to act with, interact with other people. Gotcha. No, I totally get it. It's like um, you have you have really nice pull up banners that show off the toys and stuff, but that's not really the important thing. It's it's like the service is more important than the graphics and the trade show booth and all that stuff kind of around you. All all the stuff that you can just buy is not important. Like that's not that's not why you're here. Frankly, like you know, as a as an organizer, you're not here to look good. You're here to just to be good, be good at what you're doing. So I, I totally get that. Um, yeah, I mean, you you teased it. So give me at least one before before we end on potentially a positive. Uh, let's uh, okay. Let's hear one of your bigger other. Uh, I don't know events, fun pub chapters and ants life. What are you referring? Oh, to, Oh, in sir? my life. Oh, well, I mean, let's see. They give me they give me one. Me. Give me a spicy meatball. I can give you a couple. They got my credit card information stolen. <laughs> yes, there was that. Uh, we haven't even mentioned that among many. Um, they certainly i was at um a convention with one of the early ones i think it was 2006 uh, with um our good friend chris kalos and his wife jenny and uh brian savage said uh the toys were on their way from the orient to uh and jenny's chinese and she took serious offense to that and like almost like the whole ride home was was still kind of ranting about that (laughs) um and I mean, there's you know, there's the no fitty and neck hole. There's uh, there's my argument with with Pete Sinclair on on Twitter, which you can go through my Twitter and and uh, at tfu underscore info and find that. Um, there's the using the botcon account to like politically charged and racially charged tweets, which hey, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But you represent a brand, and you represent Hasbro's brand, and you got to know what you're doing when you're doing that, and that's. That's another, you know, that's another huge mistake. Some that, you know, um, has steered people away from the convention. Um, I'm sure there's more that we can think of offhand. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, those are the first ones off the top of my head. I haven't even written a thing down. Like, I was, like, starting to make notes while you were asking me that. I'm like, oh, I don't need to write these down. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Uh, so so nobody's perfect, everyone, as you can, <laughs> as you can hear. Um Maybe that maybe that should have been like the first line in in a, in a few press releases over the years from uh, Fun Pub. But you're saying no apologies for any of those. No, yeah. like, hey, you know, it was a slip of the tongue, or hey, some people speak like that, and uh, you know, I didn't mean to offend anyone, or you know, we were just having fun up there on you know at the panel. It's there's nothing of that. There's not even a hint of that, or even hey, sorry, we lost your credit cards. Or I'll give you another e- easy one. Oh, here's one for me specifically. Hmm. Um, I almost didn't get to go to one of the conventions because they lost my fax. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. It gets better. It gets better. I, I had faxed them. Um, I had faxed them my form back when they only took faxes. They lost the fax. They told me I wasn't pre-registered. I showed them the fax confirmation. They said it's because I didn't dial a one before the fax. Mm-hmm. Um, now, regardless that the fax came back as okay, mm-hmm. like the, the error code, the mm-hmm. you know, return code was okay. And then I basically got bumped to the front of the waiting list because they screwed up. They said, well, we can't give you anything. We'll bump you to the front of the waiting list. And about three weeks before BotCon, and this is the only way I got in as a Primus package holder that year, was that somebody died. Oh, my gosh. If only you knew who gave their life for you. Oh, actually, I kind of do because it was posted on. I mean, we kind of figured it out. That oh, no. It was on one of the boards that so, you know somebody had passed away. And then right after that, I had gotten my thing for BotCon. So I'm assuming somebody died. And that's how I got in um, that year. Wow. But, like even that, like how do you not prepare for just a couple of mistaken, you know, promise packages and have backups ready? And you know what? Or just even say, hey, we messed up. We'll yeah. get you in. I hear Go. you. I hear you. Saying I'm sorry goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, again, like the, uh, again, like back in the sports world, it's like there's a reason why if somebody gets into some terrible rage-filled crime that the athlete goes to anger management. They get sent to anger management. We all know it's not genuine, but it's part of the dance. So, you know, oh, that, that part of the dance, they never did. Even if it is genuine, it goes a long way. I'll give you sure. you know, a good sports example. Of that is uh, an umpire, a baseball umpire by the name of Jim Joyce. Uh, he blew a call on a perfect game on the last out mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years back for uh, Armando Galarraga of the Tigers. It was a guy called safe at first, and he should have been out, and it was the last out of the game. And the kid got a one-hitter out of it instead of a perfect game, and he mm. should have been in history as a perfect game. Now he's in history as the almost, the near-perfect game. And that, I mean, not even an hour after the game, you know, Jim Joyce was like, I, I screwed up. I took that away from him. I mean, that's, you know, and, and he's beloved because, it, you know, because he just stepped up and said, hey, it's my fault. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes you got to do it. You got to be the bigger man. Um, so to end uh, on... The fun pub part before we speculate about maybe what the future could hold. On the toy end, they crank out at this point, like we said. I mean, they crank out a lot of toys for better or worse. They're cranking out more than Hasbro did, say, 10, 15 years ago cranking for an more entire than, year. Stores era in, in, in pretty much any year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, so, I mean, they're effectively a toy company. Yes, they're using like existing stuff, but the, the, at the effort and just the production of it. Is the uh, preeminent maker of GI Joe in the United States. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, wow, I, I don't know how to react to that. That's uh, so sad. Um, anyway, so from a creative standpoint, uh, talking legacies again, Fun Pubs put out a lot of toys. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. What do you? How do you feel about their exclusives? Uh, I mean, what do you think that have they done it for you? What kind of job do you think they've done over the last decade? Oh wow! Well, the last decade, it's it's somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I, I don't think they've done too many really awful ideas. And uh, on the same note, uh, same note, I don't think they've done too many home run ideas either. Um, I own a lot of them, so I'm trying. I'm just trying to like look through and 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 think about where they sit because you know it's a matter of what's available to them. And I mean, this, that's that's something any convention organizer is going to have to go through as to mm-hmm. what's available to them, what Hasbro will let them do, what. Um, and just what's around, but it's also taking into account the the current environment they're in. 
So back in the 90s, like, getting an exclusive anything was cool. And getting a G1 character was unbelievably cool. Mm-hmm. Like now it's like you got to go, you got to go pretty deep to the well. And um, they've done, they've done a pretty good job. I don't, I'm not, I would say the, the upcoming Combiner Wars subscription figures don't really do it for me. But on the other hand, you know, the Scorponaut figure was great. Um, I really liked what they did last year with Oil Master. Um, one day I'll probably pick it up. You know, the, the G2 stuff was really cool. You know, some of the Shattered Glass stuff was, was, was interesting. Um, and then on the other hand, though, there's always been some quality control issues with their, their figures as well. Uh, double, you know, two left missiles instead of a left and a right, or, you know, mismatched parts. Uh, I mean, it seems to happen at least to one figure every year. Yeah, for sure. And when you play the numbers, that's probably inevitable when you're cranking out that many as they are. Yeah, I, I'm very disappointed. I opened up my Beast Wars, uh, was it Beast Wars Re- Reborn? Was it, what was the Beast Wars year? Uh, the one with the uh, Cybertron bodies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I opened up my Megatron sealed a year later, and I hadn't had a chance to open it. And I opened it a year later and found that the um, the weapons that are stored in his, in his legs were not there. Oh, whoa. Yeah, and it's a very expensive toy. I was going to say. Days. Yeah, it's like a car payment now for a yeah, nice I'm going to have to uh, just buy buy one uh, a red alert at some point and just paint it, I think. Just paint, <laughs> paint the weapons. Uh, yeah, I think for a long time that was definitely like their signature uh, year for exclusive. Well, that and the uh, the Classics first year. Yeah, I think they – and they hit a home run with that one. That, that's did. probably their best box set. Yeah, I think they did. And uh, unfortunately with their character selection, Hasbro came in and, you know – Cut the knees out from underneath that collection a few years later. That's not – can't blame Fun Pub for that. It's not their fault. But, yeah, that, well, that, that set was really good. And that, that goes to one other point that we probably should make of, of talking about them being a, a bit of a dinosaur is that they've yet to adapt their model to the changing environment of Transformers in general. It's just that Hasbro is now making a lot of fan reference toys, and there's exclusives just about everywhere. Yeah. And there's official fiction, which we didn't have when BotCon was – first starting up in those first you know five ten years we didn't have an ongoing comic or or a good one you know at that and we didn't have a lot of this stuff to supplement the universe and now we do so you know whereas they could be making a killing if they were just making idw characters that Mm -hmm. you know hasbro's not going to touch or things along those lines uh instead of of jumping into you know some of the characters that just haven't been updated you know some of the characters that have been big and say uk comics that aren't just not necessarily going to catch on uh to the general populace or even to the younger crowd that is reading more than meets the eye or or the idw books yeah that's uh that's a good point i think i think one of the aspects of that is probably a discussion for another day but it kind of leads into the last thing i want to talk about is like what you do with this model in the future now that maybe we're talking we're talking about a clean slate kind of thing here is when it comes to like character exclusive selection, 2007 with the classic box set, that was kind of our first taste of, oh, like, you know, the official companies can come in and just do these and there's nothing that we can do about it. Now we have third party. So you've got like the double whammy of Hasbro and Takara doing deep cuts now in the character selection department, lots of kind of more obscure references or going back and doing stuff like Nightbird. Um, and then you've got the third party guys doing stuff at a higher and higher level every year. Like one great example of that is next year in the uh, the collectors club stuff, we're getting Impactor, which would be great. But 
pre, pretty prominent third-party company just released an impactor that everybody who is into third-party is raving about. It's kind of a buzzkill, and it's not their fault. But, but you know, I mean, it's that kind of competition. So, so I got to ask you, Ant, kind of like based on that, that's kind of a lead-in, I think, to, to the future. So somebody's going to pick up this baton and run with it. Say if that was you, is your vision trying to take it back to kind of a social event and trying to, to make the toys less of a thing just because it's just harder to do? I mean, I mean, where, where are your priorities if, if you're kind of rebooting whatever BotCon means to Hasbro and means to us? Well, I think first it would be it, it is a question of who gets the the license to do this convention. And, and one thing it should be worth pointing out um, during the Hasbro uh, Google Hangout from about what a month or so ago where they they released some information and showed off some new toys i had asked them about the um the deal with that company i can't i can't remember their name sky something the, mm-hmm. the for the event in uh in vegas yes that that's not a convention deal uh by any stretch that is you know kind of museum tour events that are um kind of pop-up events or kind of you know installations in in various cities probably one in movie years and then we'll well, it's like we have in New York. We have them here. They usually show up in Times Square. There'll be an Avengers one, or there'll be, um, you know, something about Saturday Night Live or something along those lines. Like they they show up and then they disappear. And it's kind of like walk through the sets and see some of the props. And you know, Game of Thrones did a touring one a few years ago. And I think that's more of what you're seeing from that deal. Um, but to answer your question, I think the focus you don't necessarily have to focus on the number of toys as much as you just have to focus on a couple of really good ideas mm. and and something that's going to you the the problem with fun pub uh um is that they have all these slots to fill so they try to um they try it, you know in a way it makes sense they're trying to get, pull in as many people as possible but they're trying to pull in many people possible by getting them to buy one thing that they want and one thing they don't want so you know, doing a two pack of 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 souvenir figures, sometimes you get one that's a shattered glass figure. I'm, I'm maybe you don't, uh, but sometimes you get one that's one one figure, or it doubles as one or two figures mm-hmm. in shattered glass first and normal, and then you get something to go with it. And I, you know, there's a lot of times I've I've talked to people or people are like, hey, can you pick me up this set? I just want this one figure, or you know, and right. I'll sell the other one. Absolutely. Or hey, like I really want Oil Master. I really don't want the rest of that box set. But now I'm stuck with four four toys that I don't want, and hopefully I could find four people that just want that one toy. Um, so you get you get into that kind of um, dismantling, and and I think that's that's the mistake with the toys. So the idea there would be to zero in on three or four different concepts that most people will like, you know, just something. Mm-hmm. IDW, something G1, something whatever, Beast Wars, mm-hmm. and and kind of give get it so that, you know, it, yeah, maybe one person likes both those ideas, and now they've bought two, but at least the person who likes that idea is going to go right after it. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of stepping back a little bit and kind of taking cues from the past. I, de- I definitely think there's kind of merit to that. I also think, honestly, this is something that has always been I think an issue to one degree or another is just the idea of packaging. Um, you know, the box sets are nice. They're in these, these great standardized size gift boxes. It's great. But, you know, to a lot of people, that's, that's just not important. So, uh, you know, I think that, I think that kind of thing, like, like 
get the price tag down, 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 drive the price down, make it as, as accessible as possible. Packaging is something that I think a lot of people, presentation is something a lot of people can be very forgiving about, especially in Transformers. Yeah, and one toy in a cool box is just as good as five toys in a cool box. Exactly. I, mean, I love my Botcon Sandstorm because it has a cool box. Like, I've kept that box. I've taken the toy out, but it's, yeah, that box is really cool on its own. But if there were three figures in it, would it be any less cool of a box? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, real quick, let's talk about venue, too. Uh, so, you know, Botcon's been a roadshow forever, and one thought is if, if Hasbro takes the convention a little bit closer to the fest and maybe pairs it with some pre-existing events, um, is that something that you're okay with? Are you married to the roadshow aspect of BotCon? Do you think it loses a little romance if it becomes kind of like an extra day or two around one of the Comic-Cons or a toy fair or something like that? What do you think of, of doing something like, like that? If it becomes basically kind of a, an amendment to one of the big super shows that Hasbro's always already going to attend in the year? Uh, I like the idea, uh, mm-hmm. especially since two of those take place in my backyard. Uh. <laughs> you're allowed. You're allowed to be biased. But I mean, so but in, in all honesty, uh, I think I think the idea of moving it around is important um, if it, or either one or the other. It's either moving it around, but being consistent in moving it around, uh, which Fun Pub also failed to do. It was a lot of Middle South and West Coast and West Coast because of the movies, I understand. But in the 10 years and the 11 podcasts they'll have done, they've did, they did one in the Northeast. Um, hmm. So that's, you know. I'm not saying they should do it every other year, but that that means less than 10% of your shows have been in one of the most populated parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, uh, moving around is good. Having it as part of a bigger con is also good because uh, not only are, are has Hasbro all going to be there, but their primary press outlets are all going to be there too. So tacking on a day or two uh, just makes it that much easier for everyone. I agree. Should... Uh... Should Transformers be its own convention? Do you think we deserve that, if that's even fair to say? Or do you think do you think if it's in the best interest of Hasbro that we could learn to we could learn to hold hands and, and have a Hasbro convention with My Little Pony and G.I. Joe and what have you? Or do you think Transformers should at this point it's kind of deserving of a spotlight all of its own? What do you think about that part of this? Uh, ooh, I can go either way on that. Um I like the idea of like HasbroCon just because it, it kind of puts everything in one place. It cuts down – if Hasbro were to take it over or another another vendor were to take it over, it cuts down their costs and cuts down their risk as far as you know, hotels and, and venue and all that fun stuff that it's all kind of it, – it's, it's all – all the eggs are in one basket per se. And it's just that works uh, more times than not for this kind of thing. Um, Hasbro, I mean, it, it's all a matter of, and, and this probably goes back to the previous question, all a matter of how well they do in celebrating the fandom. I think that's the big thing. Like, Star Wars has their celebration, and it's a celebration of fandom. It's not necessarily um, a place to go and get exclusives. Like, it's there to celebrate people's love for these, you know, properties. And I think that's what Hasbro needs to look at first and then kind of uh, make their priority when they're doing this. I agree. I, I think be it uh, I think be it Fun Pub, be it somebody else going forward, it would be really great if they kind of recalibrated and, and focused on focused on us, focused on the fandom. I think it's yeah. definitely become a little bit too materialistic, and I also think like after ten years, like that 
doesn't just it just doesn't have it the sway it does on us anymore. You know, I, I mean, getting fifteen toys every year uh, that it's kind of like a drug. Like it, you know, at some point, like we're gonna need twenty or twenty five to get the same high, and, and so you just can't keep doing that. So I, I really like your idea of, or just the thought that we're having here of just kind of recalibrating. Well, and think of it this way: like when from those old cons from the late '90s, just the the third. You know, other three H cons or, or even before that, mm-hmm. um, having one toy that you know you went to this con and you got this one thing as opposed to you got this bevy of things and they're all just that much less special fractionally. <laughs> like, sure. you know, like we I went to 99 as my first one. I know my first two exclusives were, you know, um, Windraiser and Sandstorm. <laughs> and they each get 50% of my love about that con, you know, whereas if you go to a convention that has 20 exclusive, they all get 5% of your love of that con. Totally agree. And the, and they're kind of like iconic, like the ones from back in the day, so to speak, they're iconic. Cause like you said, I mean, they were like the one or two that year. So like, you never forget, you never forget these toys. I can still like vividly remember the like the box and the card art and all that jazz. I still remember talking RC, um, removable bra. Yeah, Tigertron. That they brought, you know, Japanese mold to the U.S. to do a, uh, a convention exclusive. It was huge. Yeah, it was huge. It was a big deal. But, um, you know, people will say that the uh, the toothpaste is out of the tube on stuff like that. But I disagree. I mean, all you have to do is just start. To, uh, you know, just, just start. <clears throat> you, don't, you don't have to. You don't have to continue down the road and never back up or never like take cues from the past. You can just just start. Just just start to just pick a year, and start to downscale it in certain ways or, or just redirect it in certain ways, and all of a sudden you've changed. So I, there's always there's always room for change. Um, and any final thoughts on fun publications, the future, what have you? Anything we left out? Um, I, I think all signs point point to no at this point as far as fun pub goes uh, with. You know, there's there's certainly a chance that they're just renegotiating at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but just judging by, uh, they're all the clues are out there. You know, the the convention, the fan club comic has now become a full comic as opposed to having articles, which says to me that they have toys to sell and art that they paid for that they need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, just little things like that all point to them not running this in 2017. Uh, as far as Fun Pub goes, I can't say I'm sorry to see them go because, I mean, when you take the one biggest problem with the BotCons in the last 10 years has been the lines on pre-registration day, mm-hmm. and you have not been able to solve that problem in 10 years or even attempt to solve that problem, then, you know, it's it's maybe it's time for you to, to move on. Um, and just looking towards the future, I hope, I kind of hope Hasbro doesn't farm this out. I hope they kind of do this on their own. Uh, that they make this their own, you know, that they maybe expand their team and make, you know, have an event team that that puts this together. Uh, Because I feel like with Hasbro's financial power, having a little bit of money in this and and having some skin in the game that they'll at least, uh, they have the money to back it up if it goes backwards. If they come Mm -hmm. up with an idea that doesn't sell, it won't be the end of the convention. Whereas if every time Fun Pump has an idea that's kind of backfired on them, you, you don't know if you're getting convention next year other than the fact that they have the license. Good point. Good point. Um, and good conversation. So, yeah. uh, Ant, I always appreciate you uh, being on. I will uh, I will certainly be happy to talk to you down the road with you and Brian. This is a tease, folks. 
with you and Brian on third party. We're going to dig our claws into third party. So I hope you look forward to that like I do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, that should be a fun one. From from 3H to 3P, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, guys, before I go, I'm going to beg on my hands and knees. Darling, please go to tfradio.net slash Amazon. Do your Amazon shopping there. And when you check out, nickels and dimes go into Brian Kilby's ample pockets. They're empty, but they're ample. And he uses that spare change to keep the lights on, keep the podcast going, keep them flowing, keep them free, all good things. And the best thing is you listening every week to us, to the minicast and all the other super duper shows on tfradio.net. So go to tfradio.net slash Amazon, do your shopping, and thus you support us. So until next time, for Ant, this is John. We'll see you on the next RFC minicast. Music provided by bensound.com.